0: Hey everyone, welcome to Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Brie Marie from LivingBreely.com. I'm a blogger, online course creator, a mindset and success strategist, and now a podcast host. This podcast is all about how our mindset creates the reality of every aspect of our lives from money to relationships to careers to entrepreneurship and even our health and wellness. I know firsthand just how powerful our mindset is and just how easy it can be to get lost in the complexities of life. Through my own journeys with anxiety, a tough career transition, building a blog from scratch and a super shaky start with online entrepreneurship, I've been able to connect with experts, coaches, entrepreneurs and other bloggers from all around the world who are now excited to share their transformational stories and mindset shifts with you. So let's jump in. welcome back. So before I jump into today's podcast, I wanted to shamelessly plug my new online shop called BeKindShop.com. It's just the letter shop.com And if you didn't catch Friday's mindset tip trick shift, we still don't know what we're calling it. I talk about my inspiration for creating the shop and for each design. And I also do my best Cardi B impression, which is cringeworthy at best, but you know, it really wasn't my best work and it is what it is. We can't all have home runs. Um, today, Monday, November 5th is the last day for the 30% off plus free shipping, um, on the store. So you can use that code. I am kind 30 at checkout. I think I ordered, yeah, I think it was like $68 worth of stuff, and then when I entered the code, it came out to like 40 bucks, which was pretty shocking, and the shipping has been really fast as well, so I know my mom had ordered t-shirts and a long sleeve on, I think it was was it November 1st, it was the day after Halloween, yeah, November 1st, and it got to her on Saturday, so... I was like, wow, that was really fast. She ordered a couple of different things than I did. And I was like, what's the fabric like? What does it look like? And so she said that the fabric is super soft and the sizes were pretty true to size. So that was really good feedback. I was happy about that. I ordered my hoodie and some of the other things like in bigger sizes because I tend to like things like a little bit looser. Um, so I was really happy to hear that like the medium that she ordered felt like a true medium. So I'll put all of the links in the description, uh, below. So you can definitely go and check it out. And if you're ordering something, make sure to tag me on Instagram at livingbreely because I'd love to see the hoodies and t-shirts or the coffee mugs, which is what I ordered this weekend. So I'm super excited. I needed new coffee mugs anyway. So I was like, why not just buy my own stuff? (laughs) Um, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, but jumping in to, today's episode. So I interview Dr. Antonio Harrison, who is a behavioral scientist. And I met Dr. Antonio on this great little app called Shaper. It's S-H-A-P-R, no E. And I don't know how to really explain what it is, but the easiest way that I can explain it is like, I call it like the Tinder of networking but it's a professional networking app so you can meet people that are in your same industry or if you're looking for services or freelance gigs or any of those things that are either you can choose like within your area so like i looked for within san diego or you can look within like any area which is really cool um and so my business coach had originally told me about it as like a way to gain clients But I've actually met just really, really interesting people on it. I know that I interviewed Mira Jolie from a couple, from I think it was like my fifth or sixth guest on the podcast. And we met through Shaper. And I've also met a ton of just really cool people. And I'm really grateful for the app because it's just awesome. So if you're looking for uh, for a career transition or freelance gigs or mentors or mentees, it's definitely a great app to check out this isn't sponsored by the way so shaper you owe me money (laughs) um but really definitely go check it out i think it's just a great resource to have and to connect with people who are maybe in the same industry that you are and to kind of trade notes and just catch up and talk about different things anyway So, if you're like me and you have or had no idea what a behavioral scientist is, Dr. Antonio does a really great job of of explaining it in this episode. But I really wanted to have him on because I think that he has a really interesting explanation for what our mindset is and gives us some great exercises on how to restructure our mindset. And after talking to Dr. Antonio before the interview, because we kind of chatted on the phone for a bit, Uh, to kind of structure out this episode, I told him, I was like, I mean this in the best way possible, but I'm not getting doctor vibes from you. You know, sometimes doctors have a bad rep for like being a little bit cold and like sterile. I don't even know if that's a good way to describe someone's personality, but I was definitely not getting those vibes from him. And He just has a way of communicating with people that I feel is really practical and empathetic because at the end of the day, he's just like any of us, a father, a football coach, and I've just really enjoyed talking to him and we talk a lot about our family history and addiction and he gives you five really great ways to restructure your mindset and to get out of old habits which I think is extremely valuable for any of us right because we all have habits that we want to break and i think that this episode is really, really great. I'm really proud of it. I really loved having this conversation with him and I've included all of the links of his links down below. So if you can reach out to him, if you have any questions or if you're interested in working with him, that would be awesome. But I hope that you guys enjoy this episode and I will talk to you on Friday. Hi Antonio, how are you?
1: I'm wonderful. Brie, yourself?
0: I'm doing well. It's Thursday at like eight PM, so it was like I feel like it's kind of winding down for the week, and it feels good.
1: Nice, nice. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I'm super excited to be on the show today.
0: No, I'm excited to have you. I I totally just thought totally like didn't even cross my mind that you also have a podcast. Yes. Like totally blinked. And I was like, Oh, wow. Yeah, he's probably gonna be really, really good at this. (laughs) How long Did you have? Are you still doing your podcast? Or?
1: So I had I did one with a buddy of mine for three and a half years. We put out a podcast every week. I mean, I think we had over 205 episodes before he got engaged and moved out of state. Um, And then I did one on my own. I, I there's actually two I tested out on my own. One was for parenting tips, especially for dads. Another one was kind of about uh, gratitude, but I, they didn't, uh, what's, what's the phrase I want to use? Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything that was fulfilling for me. Um, so I'm re- starting a new one that debuts this weekend called Loose Change, and it is a conglomeration of a bunch of different really cool topics that I like that I think help people change and grow.
0: Oh, awesome. So your episode's going to come out the first Monday of November. So that will be awesome. If you already have hopefully a couple episodes up by then.
1: Yeah, I'll drop three this weekend as the debut. And then I've got four in the pipeline. So we'll be running strong.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I, okay. <laughs> we have to give everyone the, the preface that you are a varsity football coach. Yes. <laughs> so those were some like Sport words right there. <laughs> so, why don't you tell everyone who you are and what you do?
1: Well, my name's Dr. Antonio Harrison, but please call me Antonio. I'm born and raised in Pasadena, except for a four-year stint out in Iowa for college. And I actually wasn't planning on coming back to California whatsoever, but I had a pretty bad knee injury where the inside of my ankle touched my groin. And I was casted hip to toe for eight months. It took me about a year and a half to be able to walk and run again. So I came home and in coming home, I was teaching elementary school, bouncing at a club on the weekends, as well as working three nights a week, graveyard shift at 24 hour fitness. And I, I was just burning the candle at both ends and I didn't know what I was doing. So I decided to go back to school because I always enjoyed it and I went and got a PhD in behavior analysis and now I am a behavior scientist for the last, uh, well, over a decade now and uh, I do a lot of work with helping people change whatever behaviors they're interested in, eliminating, acquiring new skills. I do a lot with parenting as well um, and I coach high school football and have a podcast.
0: Awesome. So I know what a behavior scientist is because I, we talked about it and then I also did a little bit of research, but for someone who doesn't know what that is, can you give them a bit of a rundown of what a behavior scientist really means?
1: Yeah. So the, the, the field that I study is the science human behavior. So it's, it's a branch of psychology, but it's different than couch therapy or psychoanalytics where, you know, I'm inferring or assuming a lot of your Intentions or thoughts based off of what you tell me. So, for example, if you go to a typical psychologist or psychiatrist and you tell them you've been feeling down and you can't get out of bed, and they say, okay, well, those are all the symptoms from the DSM IV to say you're depressed. Here's some medication. And we're going to have you come in once a week and talk about it. Well, mine's a little different. I'm all about things that I can observe and measure. So, I'll say, all right, well, you say you're depressed, but what does that look like? well, I don't come out of my room, I eat pints of ice cream all day and I'm constantly crying. Those are all three, all three of those things are behaviors that I can measure and that I can change. So I can get you out of your room in a social setting around friends and family that you enjoy, get you smiling, get you stop crying, get some good food in your body. And, you know, by changing those behaviors, uh, we can eliminate the notion of, being depressed, um, now i'm not saying that medication doesn't work for everybody. I just believe and what I've been taught and what I believe in is that there's a lot of other routes you can go before you need to pop pills
0: very interesting. I feel like that's always such a hot topic to talk about is is medication and especially dealing with like mental health, especially around depression and anxiety and I very openly talk about how I have anxiety, and one of, I think the, the main thing that I has really helped me is honestly just by taking action um, exactly. about my anxiety, and that's come in like several different forms from cognitive behavioral therapy to just the foods that I eat, being active, and just like these little tiny things that I do on a daily basis that really I feel like manage my anxiety in a, in a healthy manner. Not that I'm opposed to medication because I do think that it really can help people, but I do believe sometimes some of some, not all, but some mental health issues can be, can be resolved through changes in behavior.
1: See, and, and, and for, for example, uh, with anxiety, right? So if, if you were to be someone who came to me and said, Hey, I've got these this issue with anxiety and I need some help with it. I don't want to take medication. And what I would say is, well, let's find out what are the things that trigger you to get you anxious? What in the environment? And once we identify those things and then understand how you engage in anxious behavior, do you, you know, do you fidget? Do you over talk? Do you hide away and run away from everybody? Well, the first thing I'd start to do is start to slowly expose you to the thing that makes you anxious, anxious to mm-hmm. desensitize you to it, and then teach you some new skills that are replacing the old ones that are the bad habits of you running away or fidgeting or over-talking.
0: Yeah, I play with my hair. Ah, there you go. <laughs> That's my fidget. My mom used to be like, why are you playing with your hair? And it's like, honestly, just a nervous thing, like an anxious thing. Like I always, and I, I mean, I'm a woman, I have like long, longer hair. So it's kind of, I'm sure it just like looks normal to someone just talking to me. But if I'm feeling anxious, I'm like playing with my hair, trying to pull my hair back. And it's, yeah, it's funny that you brought that up.
1: See, and I might, I might have you do something like find something that's a similar texture to your hair that you can keep in your pocket so you can play with it in your pocket and twirl mm-hmm. it around. and So that other, if it, if it makes you anxious when other people are seeing it or it becomes too big of an issue, I mean, but having something in your pocket, what you're, you're fidgeting with, no one knows and you're, you're handling it. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing too. Like when I was going to cognitive behavioral therapy, it was like the things that I thought would stick out to people that people would notice. Like, oh my gosh, everyone's looking at me. It's like no one is looking at you. Yeah, no, they're not
1: paying attention <laughs> at all. <laughs> they're too worried about their own stuff.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what my therapist said. He was like, like for lack of a better word, he was like, no one gives a shit what you're doing. Yeah, at everyone's all. So- <laughs> caught up in their own bs that they do not even notice what you're doing and i was like oh that's so true because i thought about it from my own perspective for once i'm like i'm so caught up in like am i playing with my hair too much like do i need to put like hand sanitizer on and all these like <laughs> little things i didn't even realize like oh no one is looking at me <laughs> no <laughs> um so t- sorry we kind of went on a tangent there So no worries. how did you I like tangents <laughs> how did you get into behavioral science? Like what inspired you to really look at human behavior?
1: Well, you know, I was just recently asked this question and I kind of had an aha moment. Um, I've always been a people watcher. I'm I'm very social, but I always watched people and found it fascinating just the way people maneuver through the world and, and how they do things, whether it's the same or different. But I didn't realize until, you know, just a little while ago, uh, later in life, that for me it went back and stemmed back to my childhood. My my dad was affected by the crack epidemic in the late '80s, early '90s in Los Angeles, and he became addicted. and He was in and out of jail. Uh, from I found out that you know he was using when I was ten, and he just finished his last stint of incarceration a year and a half ago. And you know, luckily he's been clean since then, but it's been a battle you know, for over two, three decades for him. And, you know, uh, once we found out that he was using, it was, the truth was unveiled. So there was no need for him to hide it or be gone for three or four days. So he would use in the house and there'd be situations where, you know, he'd be paranoid, high, holding a butcher knife at the living room window, looking behind the curtains. And my sister and I, we would have to make noise and make ourselves known and present for fear of, you know, potentially getting stabbed. I mean, um, and so what I realized is part of the reason I became such a people watcher was because of all the situations I was put in at a young age. I had to know what people were doing, who was sketchy, who was safe, where's the exit route, what's going on in my environment to just survive. So I think now that I'm older and looking back on it, that played a huge role in how much I loved watching people and was so curious about human behavior was as a kid, I needed to as a necessity just simply out of survival. Now I just really enjoy it. But back then, uh, you know, I I needed to make sure I was safe and keeping my little sister safe.
0: That's intense. How old were you when all of that started?
1: Uh, It started when I was eight or so, but when I was 10, my mom used to have this thing where she would say, you know, hey, do you want to go on a drive with me? And whenever she told me that, I always knew she wanted to talk to me about something. And so when I was 10, she asked if I wanted to go on a drive, and on that drive, she told me, you know, the reason why there's stuff missing from the house or your Christmas gifts have been gone two days after Christmas or dad's out, the, out of the house for three to four days is because he smokes crack, um, which is a harsh thing to share with a 10-year-old, but in all honesty, that brutal truth was mm-hmm. better for me and me being able to cope and move forward and understand the family dynamics, as well as understand my father. So I knew at the age of 10, you know.
0: That's so intense. Um, But you said now he's doing much better, right?
1: He is. And quite frankly, my dad is one of my best friends. He has been while I grew up. Uh, A lot of people find it interesting that I don't have all this resentment towards him. But The fact of the matter is he was completely honest. He owned all his faults and he held himself accountable. And when he was present and not using, he was a gentle, loving, caring father. Um, And when he was using, it wasn't him, it was the dope. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, And I was able to separate those two because I knew what was going on.
0: Right, yeah. I think uh, addiction runs in my family um, as well. And I think just from a family's perspective, like I just feel like it's so it can be really difficult for everyone involved, and I think there has to be a, a certain level of forgiveness um, that plays into your relationship with 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 an addict.
1: Yeah, and the other part for me too was like, uh, you know, I think everybody in this world is addicted to something. It may not be something totally. that's bad for you, say right, but I. I've never had the experience to where you know I've got three boys of my own. I've I've never had the experience to where I would put them in a dangerous situation for some sort of personal or physical gratification. So, you know, I I had to understand that I don't understand his world or walk this. this you know, I, I'm I'm not walking in the shoes that he lives in. Mm. So it's it's got to be as as crazy as it sounds and as as difficult as for me to understand it's got to be driving him nuts the fact that he can't control it you know oh, so yeah that gave me some solace in being able be, being able to reconcile it
0: yeah i think that that's interesting you brought up that everyone has some type of addiction i mean from your just like professional standpoint i mean i'm sure, i think there has been studies that say that addiction is hereditary right mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there's some that say it's hereditary. Some say it's more environmental. Um, but I think it's 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 a matter of both, right? Like, for example, you could you could have twin boys with an alcoholic father. One will never touch alcohol a day in their life, and the other one will follow in their dad's footsteps. Is that <laughs> is that environment or is that hereditary? I don't know. The key, though, is let's get the help for the person who needs it. You know what I right. mean? Like, that, that's my thing is, like, I'm not so much – I'm interested and curious about the the dominating factors that get things started if we can find preventative measures. But at the end of the day, what really needs to happen is someone needs help, regardless of whether it's an addiction or it's someone just wants to lose weight or someone wants to feel better or someone wants to be more successful. Like They're just looking for help. And if we took it that way a lot of people might be more willing to help and we maybe could have a little more cooperative uh place that we live in today
0: i absolutely agree i mean yeah i think addiction is 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 difficult um alcoholism runs in my family and it's interesting because i never saw like my family growing up like my parents never really drank um I mean, I knew that they drank when they would go to like social events or like we would have like, you know, dinners and stuff at our house. Like there would be alcohol, but it wasn't like my dad came home from work after a rough day and like ran over to the scotch bottle or whatever. Like I actually never really saw my dad drink until after like my 21st birthday. And I honestly think, and I don't know, again, this is probably just like, you know, my grandma's thing, but it's like the firstborn from every one of, are from every one of my mother's siblings they've all had some type of addiction and so yeah. I'm the firstborn born from my mother and I was like oh my gosh that, like, <laughs> there, like now I'm a hypochondriac too yeah thanks nice. grandma <laughs> <laughs> um and I was like okay and that, and that was part of the reason why I didn't want to take medication for my anxiety was because I was already in such a place of like I will do anything to feel good and to get relief. And it was like, I could walk that like really, really thin line of taking a medication to make me feel okay. And it was one of the, like that was, I think 90% of the deciding factors of why I was like, mm, anxiety medication probably isn't the right route to go down right now.
1: Well, and I think it also has to do it with, Uh, Addiction usually is is coincides with the lack of self-love and and that's coming from a behavior scientist, right? The notion of love, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. For me, once once my athletic career was done with my injury, I had no idea who I was. You know, my identity had been wrapped up in athletics for so long, all of my life. And all of a sudden I couldn't walk. Right, So, you know, uh, things like alcohol, things like the pain pills they were giving me, those things were simple ways out because I didn't know me. And that was an easy way to just get that out of my head and be whatever I wanted to be in that moment because I didn't love myself at that point because I felt really shitty about the fact that I wasn't who I used to be.
0: Right. That's intense. So what, how did you cultivate a sense of, of love for yourself?
1: Uh, with a lot of soul-searching, question-asking, help from others, and just ups and downs. Um, I I knew that uh, I needed to answer the fundamental philosophical question of who am I. And in doing that, I, I read a bunch of books. I listened to a bunch of stuff. I tried different, you know, meditations and I don't want to say religions, but cause I was, I wasn't raised in the church, but I looked at Nichiren Buddhism, you know, I looked at all kinds of stuff, but at the end of the day, it was just a matter of taking a step every day forward and trying to progress as opposed to just sitting and wallowing in the mess that I had created for myself.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like you were very curious and I think very it's much. very interesting and I hope this doesn't come off as of like being sexist, but like for men, you don't hear men talking about self-love at all, if ever. And I don't, I mean, I, cause from the the kind of the world that I'm in with Pinterest and like female entrepreneurs, it's all about self-love. Like that is like the, the main focus. Um, and it's a lot of like, you know, face masks and bubble baths. And I'm like, I think that there's more, that's all great for external self-love, right? But I think that there's like this internal desire. I don't even think it has anything to do with gender. Um, just from a human standpoint that has to kind of, I think, develop to really get to the root of some to some hard questions.
1: No, and I agree and I didn't take any offense to it. It's actually one of the things I was doing with the parenting stuff that I do. Um, I still do a webcast every Wednesday called Doc's Daily Dose for Dads. Because it's, it's, a, it's something that men have to come to realize is that old way of not being vulnerable, being stoic, having no emotion, that's not effective. It just doesn't work. Look at all the shit that it's put us into. Look yeah. at all the things that have been exposed. I mean, just to give an example of like the Me Too movement, that's an evolution that had to happen, and I'm glad it did, but it exposed some really ugly people. And let's be real, most of those people were men, and that's mm-hmm. a good thing. But it's changed the narrative on masculinity. And the thing is, the narrative it was should never have been. Like we, the, as, as, as strong as I come off to people, especially being a football player and my dad being this like huge, gigantic, muscular man, my father and I do not cross each other's paths, path, coming or going without a hug and an I love you, Period right? I, and my boys, they will hear I love you two to three times a day for me every single day. Like mm-hmm. it's because I, I want them to love themselves. I want them to be good human beings. And I don't want to leave that up for chance. I want to give them as much opportunity as possible to be loving people. So guys, get over yourselves. Stop uh, thinking that women or don't like uh, a vulnerable man or that Other men are, don't feel threatened by other men with respect to being vulnerable. It actually makes you stronger.
0: Yeah. Have you, I agree with everything that you just say. And I, uh, I grew up in a household, like every time I got off the phone with my mom or my dad, it was like, I love you. I'll talk to you later. Like I could not end a conversation without saying I love you. So I think it's really great that you have implemented that into your family as well. Um, but have you heard of Lewis Howes? He wrote this book called Mask of Masculinity.
1: No, I haven't, but I would definitely check that out.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you know who Lewis Howes is, but he's, a. you would probably really, I'm probably butchering his last name, but you would probably really love him and resonate with his story because he talked, he was a ex- football player? I don't know. He played sports. Again, I don't know anything about sports, but he He played a lot of um, different sports. And like, you know, I think he had an injury as well. He grew up in Ohio, like kind of, kind of similar story. So he wrote that book called Mask and Masculinity. I haven't read it, but I've heard nothing but really great reviews about it. And he also has a a podcast called the school of greatness. And he just like interviewed Kobe and like he, and he's interviewed a ton of really successful athletes and business men and women
1: as well. Well, see. and, And for me, I mean, just on the topic of masculinity or any other topic is I think people forget that everything inherently has its opposite. So in order to be masculine, you have to have a feminine side to you. Because if you don't, you're out of balance and being, being out of balance in anything is not a good way to be.
0: See, I have a little bit of a pickle with the word balance, but I think it's mostly in the sense of the way that it's, it's literally marketed towards women to be quote in balance. And I feel like it has such a polarity to it. Like the word balance, I think is just a, again, just the way that it's marketed towards women where like you open I mean maybe you haven't opened an issue of Cosmo (laughs) but it will like say like oh how she found balance and she found the perfect balance with her work and career and her relationships and I feel like it has such a polarity to it like whether you're in balance or you're not in balance and it just perpetuates this idea of of perfectionism well, maybe,
1: maybe I can change your connotation of, of the, the word balance because if you go back to, you know, what I was saying about the inherent opposite, the only way you get balance is by being imbalanced. So it's a constant teeter totter, right? Like, there's going to be times where I'm a little more heavy dealing with podcast stuff and and neglecting some other things and i've got to rebalance that out so that i spend more time with the kids and then realize like oh hey i've neglected uh my own personal health i need to get back in the gym and balance that out like no one's ever perfect there is no true balance but balance comes from the notion of recognizing that something's out of whack
0: that's a good way to put it, because I do, I mean, I do think that again, exactly what you were saying, like, there are times, especially because I have multiple projects always kind of stirring around where I'm, like, d- diving in and giving more attention to one than I am to the other, and then maybe my relationships suffer or my health suffers, and I'm like, oh, I kind of got to get back to an equilibrium here where I'm able to, like, give attention to the things that need giving attention to I just think the way that it is geared towards women, like the way that magazines and ads and even on Pinterest and on Facebook, it's like all about finding this balance and being able to juggle all of these different, you know, balls where it comes from, um, work or food and health and and all of these things. And I think it can be very overwhelming for women when they, when they feel like they have to have it all together.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm not a woman and I don't know what that overwhelming feeling is, but I can tell you too, as a man, uh, when most men won't say it, we feel overwhelmed as well.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I think that's just a human nature thing. Yeah. Um, in, in general, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's like, there has to be for, for men, especially like having that vulnerability aspect and like realizing that that doesn't necessarily make you weak. Um, is, is super important. Yes. So kind of transitioning to mindset. So how do you define a mindset?
1: So I used to have a real problem with this word because I would listen to all these gurus when I was kind of searching for my own progress and growth. And they would get you all rah rah up and psyched up and send you out to the world, but there was no real actionable steps behind it. And I was like, you know, change your mindset, change your mindset. What are these people talking about? Like, it's not that easy to just change the way you think. And, but then, you know, I, I have the tendency sometimes when I don't agree with something or I find something curious, I go down this rabbit hole and I think on it for days. And after thinking a while about mindset, when it was riling me up too much, um, I realized mindset is a behavior. It's just self-chatter. It's the things that you say to yourself. It's self-talk. Whatever you're saying to yourself is what your mindset is. And I said, aha, what I say is a behavior. That is something I can change or at least observe and be aware of so that I have some control over the outcome.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I always say mindset is the stories that you tell yourself about yourself. Very true. So this is so random, but I just thought about this. So what do you, because I think there's thought and then behavior, right? Like you have a thought that it invokes a behavior or do you think that the behavior comes first and then the thought, am I making sense?
1: No, you are, you are. (laughs) Uh, Well, there's two things to it. One, I think thought is behavior, right? So, um, I think the, Thinking is an action. The problem with thinking in terms of changing it is no one can see it besides the thinker. Right? So I just have to trust what you say is what you're actually thinking, which can really throw off some effective interventions if you're trying to change some stuff, if you're lying or exaggerating or holding back the truth. But, you know, uh, there, there are other things to it, too, like if I put my hand on a hot stove, there's no thought process in me yanking my hand back because I'm being burned. That's just an, a reflex right. that happens automatically. However, deciding whether or not I'm going to make a right or a left at this you know, upcoming stop sign – well, that thought is going to produce, you know, I, I got to think about all the options, where I'm at, the timetable, what I got to do, where I got to go, what's the direction I'm trying to get to, and it's going to help me decide the behavior of either turning left or turning right. But at the end of the day, that thought process sitting in the car, that is behavior as well. Uh, but there's no thought in touching a hot stove and yanking your hand back. That just happens. That's a reflex.
0: Right. Like a, you don't want to get hurt, like an evolutionary thing (laughs) yeah exactly kind of ingrained in us
1: if you're not moving your hand off a hot stove sorry you were chosen by natural selection you're not you're gonna have a short life
0: (laughs) (laughs) that was me as a little kid my mom used to always have like the toaster oven and she'd always be like don't touch it and I don't know it's just like curiosity I'd always want to touch it and I don't know if it was like her saying don't do it that made me want to do it or maybe it was a little natural selection (laughs) (laughs) that's why I like don't have a fingerprint on my like (laughs) index finger anymore (laughs) because I was that little kid so as far as mindset goes how do you think we develop a mindset like if someone is in I was talking about like a fixed and a growth mindset so if someone has a fixed mindset where did that stem from how is our mindset actually developed
1: I think your mindset is is a it's developed from your history over time with how you were raised the environment you were raised in, the things that you see and watch and hear I mean I'll give you an example um there's and stop me if I'm going too long uh there's two things I do every day with all three of my boys without fail and it because it helps their mindset and their confidence the first is I drop them off at school every day. So when I drop them off at school, I always say, I want you to have a good day, work hard, be a good leader, have fun with your friends and listen to your teachers. What does daddy always tell you? And then I have them repeat with me, you're smart, you're kind, you're important. I'm proud of you and I love you. That encompasses all the things I just want them to do. I didn't say go get straight A's. I didn't say be a perfect person. I told them, you know, listen to your teachers, work hard, be a good leader, have fun. Um, You're smart, you're kind, you're important, I love you. Just important things that help their mindset. So when navigating obstacles and difficult things, hopefully I've said it enough to them and they've said it enough to themselves that those things pop back in with their self-talk. That mindset comes back in. The other thing that I do with my boys is at the end of the night when they go to sleep, I ask each one of them, um, what are you thankful for today? And I have them tell me, each one tells me what they're thankful for. Then I ask them, what did you love about yourself today? And they give an example of something they did where they loved about themselves. And then I tell them what I'm thankful for today. And then I tell them what I loved about each one of them that day. And I'm very specific. It could be something like, you helped your brother up off the ground when he fell. You did your homework without anybody having to tell you right? And then I have them repeat with me. The inner reality creates the outer form. The universe bears no ill will to me. I bear no ill will to it. And I become what I think about. And they're just words, but said enough times, repeated enough, they become beliefs. And I want my boys to believe those things about themselves so that they have the proper self-talk they have the proper mindset when they're going out in the world.
0: I love that. I think that your kids are so lucky to have you.
1: Thank you. I I (laughs) tell them, tell them now when I, when I get pissed off,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that those are kind of the kind of things like now as an adult that I look back. on. And my parents like taught me something or like had a conversation with me and when you're like you know younger especially in your teenage years you're like you're so annoying mom like no I don't care like you kind of just brush it off but then you'll be like randomly driving one day and remember this conversation you had with your dad and it's like oh man He was right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. no, And and that's what I tell parents all the time, too, is like, yeah, okay, your your kid is getting into middle school, and they don't want to necessarily give you a kiss or a hug in front of their friends anymore. So what? Don't get your feelings hurt about it. Still give them a kiss and a hug and tell them you love them. Because as much as they may feel embarrassed about it, they love that, too. They don't want that to go anywhere. And they're going to follow your lead. So if you dismiss it, well, then they'll dismiss it, too, which starts to dismiss your love. Don't do that. Uh, Be the adult, not the kid in the situation.
0: Mm -hmm. That's powerful. I actually just literally right before we started recording this posted a blog post kind of going back to those affirmations that you were telling your kids if they go to sleep about positive affirmations and why they sometimes don't work for people. So I'm curious, I'm not going to tell you like why I said that they don't work for some people, but I'm curious just on your perspective of why you think positive affirmations don't always
1: work. Well, I think it, there's a couple reasons. One is I think sometimes people set unrealistic aspirations or affirmations. Um, and I don't mean in, in the sense that, for example, to say I'm positive all the time. That's bullshit. Nobody's positive all the time. To say something more of the lines like, I'm trying at all times to make sure I'm looking at the good in every situation, that's more realistic. Don't set yourself up for failure. And the other part is, it goes back to me being behavior scientist. It's about action. I can't sit on the couch and say, I'm going to be a millionaire and, and visualize it and dream of it and stay on the couch all day. I actually have to get my ass up and go and do something.
0: That's literally that the exact happen. example that I used. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I literally wrote, I think my exact words like, you can't say that you want to have a million dollar be, bill, million dollar business and then go and order a pizza.
1: Yeah, like, it doesn't work like
0: that. There, I, yeah, my whole thing was about there has to be an action behind the affirmation, so like if you say I want to be healthy it's like okay what are you going to do today that is going to make you healthy is it going to be eating a salad instead of a burger is it going to be walking or swimming or riding your bike like what is it that there has to be some type of action associated to the affirmation and that's what actually makes the affirmation work
1: Yeah, no, like one of my affirmations is that I influence minds of different walks of life through writing and podcast and information for their change and growth for the better. Well, I do a podcast, I coach, I've got my boys, I teach, like these are all actionable steps that align with my affirmation, right? And and hopefully the things I put out with, you know from what some of the people tell me it's actually helping them change and grow. So, all right, I'm, it's realistic and it's actionable and I'm actually doing it. I'm not just sitting there reading it every morning.
0: Yeah. And I think too, the thing that you said about like, I'm, I want a million dollars or I want to be a millionaire. I, I think our brain isn't dumb. So like you could stand in front of a mirror and say, I'm a pickle, but your brain isn't gonna believe you no matter how many times or how long you stood in front of that mirror, right? Yeah, no. So like, I think when it's someone's like, I want I mean, of course, who doesn't want a million dollars? I want a million dollars. That'd be nice. I'll take yeah, it. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> um but I think it has like the affirmation has to be like not saying like I am a millionaire or I want or I desire a million dollars. It's like I'm working towards a million dollars, or I'm getting closer to having a million dollars, like something that's actually, like you were saying, like realistic. Well, right,
1: and it it also gives you something attainable and doesn't set you up for failure. Think about if you set an expectation that's an impossible actualization. If it's impossible to ever attain that and you're constantly saying it to yourself, what do you think the effect's going to be? You're going to be so frustrated and stressed and depressed that it doesn't happen. Well, it was never going to happen because you set it up for something that was never bound to come to fruition.
0: Yeah. Well, cause it's focusing on the lack.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Rather than like what actually is or what it has the potential to be. Like I feel like sometimes the affirmations have to be worded, correctly the affirmations have to be worded and the action has to be in place to to a point where like the subconscious and your conscious mind are in alignment and there is no lack in between that and that's what i'm saying like when someone stands in front of the million mirror and says i am a millionaire it's like your subconscious mind knows that you're lying (laughs) (laughs) no yeah does that make sense? It you, does. Hit on, you hit on something that I want to circle back to you really quick was that it sets you up for failure. I, what, how do I even phrase this question? How do you personally deal with failure?
1: Me personally, um, and I know a lot of people might not even agree with it. Um, one, the first thing I do is I get in my feelings. I get upset about it because I think it's okay. You failed at something that you were trying to do. It's all right to be pissed off or sad. The key though is not staying in that misery, right? Like, I mean, there's science to show that emotions only last 90 seconds where the peak of an emotional feeling is at 45 seconds. The reason they last longer that is because we keep replaying the story over and over and over again. Yeah, I'm mad. Well, they did this to me. And those that 45 seconds just starts to accumulate, right? That 90 seconds over and over and over again. I give myself the time to wallow in my own self-misery and self-pity, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm upset. I'm frustrated. I failed at this. Man, what is going on? And then once I allow myself to feel that, then I say, okay, well, what did I learn from that? What can I do differently? What can I do better? What's my next step? Or am I giving up? because if I'm going to give up, there's no point in being frustrated about it. And if if I'm going to move forward, there's no point in being frustrated about it. It's only if you stay stuck in that failure, then you've got an issue. So either give it up and move on or say, what did I learn from this that I can apply as I move forward? And I'm going to continue to tackle this task, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what other choices do you have? You either let go of it, stay in it, which is horrible for everybody, or you move forward and keep pursuing it.
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of the times people understand like certain concepts, especially when it comes to failure, like use your failure to, you know, for a lesson, like there has to be a lesson in in every failure, like I think intellectually people understand that, but emotionally, like when you're actually in it, it's really hard to like pull from that I guess like innate wisdom
1: well that's 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 why I love giving personal examples about everything that I talk about because so for example if I had a relationship with some woman that I really loved and I absolutely failed at it well guess what the next relationship I have with someone who I'm falling head over heels for I know what not to do I know where I messed up last time. I know where I need to have communication and conversation because I don't want to lose this person the way I lost the last person. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to engage in this stuff that made this, this woman leave me. I want to see with this new person, hey, what's your feeling on this? Uh, I want to approach this a different way. I really, really like you, right? Like, so that's a real life example of learning from your failure as opposed right. to like, uh, I didn't make a million dollars today. Well, a lot of people didn't make a million dollars today, but, but <laughs> everybody did, right. But everybody fell in love for a second today, like just a little bit, whether it was right. a random stranger on the street or, you know, your wife of 30 years or someone, you know, that you just started dating.
0: Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, my, I talked about this on a different podcast, um, that my friend did. He asked me like, He's like, have you had any failures in your business? And I literally laughed. I was like, uh yeah, like almost, almost every day I can feel I feel like a little bit. I'm like, oh, I could have done this better. I could have because you're just so I'm very self-critical. Um and I remember like one, the th- example that I talked about was like the very first course that I launched that like no one bought. And I I kind of I gave myself half a day where I just cried for like six hours because I was so upset about it. But after that, I kind of was – once I got over that, like, emotional thing that I was going through for six hours, I, like, kind of regathered my thoughts and I was, like – you know, I looked back and I was, like, oh, well, I only did this and I didn't do this and this is how I can learn from this and this is how I can actually make it work and yeah. kind of salvage what was left of the course or, like, what was – and kind of retweak things. Um, but I also think that it – I think – I think failure is so important in like your early years.
1: Yeah. Like as a
0: kid, I mean, I can't tell you how many like different things I tried as a kid that I sucked at. And I'm so grateful to my parents now looking back. I'm like, I'm so glad that I did gymnastics and I did cross country and I took guitar and I did all of these like very just, I never, I mean, some people might think that it looks bad that I never stayed committed to like one thing from, you know, five years old till I was 17. But I tried a lot of really cool things. And I think now looking back, I'm like, that was so fundamental to even now how I run my business. I'm like, I don't mind trying new things. If I suck at it or it doesn't work out, it's like, well, I can, I know I can get better at it, better at it if it's something I really want to do. Or if I suck at it, oh, well, (laughs) like there's a million other things that I can try that will work.
1: Yeah, no, like I was talking about the inherent, nature of the opposites. Failure is tied to success. Uh, Growth is tied to death, right? Like, so, I mean, that's why it really bothers me to see how coddled and handheld people are, especially children are today. Like my son, the first time he ever played organized sports, football, which is his favorite sport, the team went undefeated ran through the playoffs, and won the Super Bowl. This is his first experience with the game and organized sports playing football. It is a perfect season all the way through playoffs, hoisting the trophy up at the end of the day. And he had a completely unrealistic perspective and ideal about what sport was all about and what life was all about with respect to, hey, we're, we're the greatest, we're the best, nothing can ever, you know, doesn't matter. And then this year, his team's not so good. And he's had to deal with those ups and downs of getting their butts whooped on a Sunday or doing okay or winning. And it's like this up and down, this ebb and flow, that's really what life is. You will have these moments where you'll ride this high, where you think things are perfect. But man, let me tell you, nothing goes undefeated. Everything meets its maker. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I wish that you, okay, you have to listen to, Lewis's, Lewis Howe's interview with Kobe because he literally talks about how I didn't know again I don't know anything about sports so I didn't know that his dad was like also a professional basketball player oh yeah yeah I didn't know people were probably like cringing listening to me say that um <laughs> but they he was talking about how I guess he went to some summer camp and they all of the kids knew who his dad was and they were like oh he's probably going to be really good and they kind of picked on him and I guess Kobe said he sucked like he couldn't get any I don't even know if I'm using the right terms like any free throws or anything like just horrible like and I guess his dad came on to the court and was like saw him play Saw that he wasn't doing that well And his dad came onto the court and he was like, I'm still going to love you if you're good at this or bad at this. Like, it doesn't change my love for you. And I was like, oh, I started like tearing up a bit. Um, But then he said Kobe ended, I guess that summer or that after the summer ended, he went home and every day he practiced for one or two hours just shooting free throws, like one or two hours. And he was like, it was just me showing up. One or two hours every single day. I came back, you know, six months later, I was a little bit better. And he's like, and I, and he's like, it's just doing, he's like, even if you just show up and do one or two hours every day, like, you don't know how good you can get in three yeah. months, six months, in a year, in two years. And obviously, like, that works because, like,
1: yeah, he's pretty he's, damn good.
0: He's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I think for especially for children, like, failure is, is is important. Like, I think kids should suck at stuff.
1: Well, and I think that was, a, and I haven't seen the interview, and I think that was a great example of not not just the failure notion, but the self-love notion, too, in that his dad come in, and again, I didn't see the interview, and I don't know Kobe, but I could probably promise you that his dad coming onto the court saying, I'll love you no matter whether or not you're good at that, removed all the pressure Mm -hmm. of him having to be the professional basketball player's son. And all of a sudden, yeah. he, can, he can go one to two hours out there every day because it's his choice to make himself better at something he wanted to do as opposed to living through someone else's lenses or what he thought was someone else's dream.
0: Exactly. That's perfect. Exactly. Yeah, you'll have to. I'll send you the link because I, I listened to the yeah. audio version, but I think he actually did like a sit-down record. I think it's on YouTube. No, um, yeah, I, I love that. That interview was so good. I was like, I don't know. Again, I don't know anything about sports, but I really got so much out of that in, that interview just from the sense of like having resiliency and the tenacity to like keep going and even just showing up like on, he was like, you know, there are days, of course, I don't want to like practice, but I show up and do it anyway, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Nah. Um, so that was, that was my big takeaway. So kind of going back to mindset. How would you? You gave me some some examples of how you would restructure your mindset. So, what were those five things that you had mentioned to me?
1: So, uh, there are some techniques that I use for actually changing the way in which you talk to yourself. And one we kind of already talked about, which is carrying around whatever your realistic and uh, detailed affirmation, positive affirmations are putting that on a card, typing it out. Mine's typed out and it's laminated and I carry it with me inside like a, a mini composition book that I stick in my back pocket. I read it when I wake up. I read it before I go to sleep. I read it when I have time and I'm not doing anything. When I reach back for something in my pocket and I grab it, I'm like, hey, I could take a, you know 10 seconds, 30 seconds to read this. Um, and that's just a constant restructuring or reconditioning of the things you're saying to yourself. Now, it works in conjunction really well with another technique I have, if you have a lot of negative self-talk, which is a snap of a rubber band. So if you are constantly saying really bad things to yourself or constantly you know, being negative towards you, get that af- positive affirmation card, keep it on you. But I also want you to put a, a rubber band on your wrist. Whenever you start to have that negative self-talk, pull that rubber band back far and snap it on your wrist. The pain, the physical pain that's produced in your body biologically will stop your thought, your, your chain of thought, your thought process, your thought patterns. It'll just stop it. Like, if you ever been thinking about something and stub your toe? You can't think about anything else besides the fact that your toe is throbbing, Right. Right. Yeah. So you do that. And the moment you do that, you then pull out your positive affirmation card and you read those things to yourself. You can read them out loud or to yourself, but the key is involving the emotions of how you feel when you're reading those. But you snap the rubber band to break yourself from those chain of thoughts, those which are behaviors, that chain of behaviors that's happening where, where I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Pull that rubber band back, pop it, hurt yourself a little bit on the wrist. You'll be okay. It'll stop that pattern and then pull out your positive affirmations. I gave this to a high school golfer who won league every year, but couldn't make it, uh, into playoffs past the first round. And when I finally gave him this tool, this kid went on to win the entire section of Southern California and get himself a full scholarship. Um, wow. Uh, another one that I use is a gratitude journal. Um, we always hear about being grateful and gratitude. But I think there's something to not just saying it like I do with my boys, but writing it down. Mm -hmm. So every morning after I do some yoga or a workout or uh, right before my meditation, I will just take my journal and I write the things down that I'm thankful for. Sometimes I look at different sayings and I'll copy and paste them in there and write what that kind of means to me in my own words and why I'm thankful for those things I'll talk about things that maybe made me sad but then it'll give me a chance to look at what I could learn from that to get the growth from failure like we were talking about but it keeps me constantly grateful because I'm practicing it every single day right um uh one that I really like too is called the Smile commitment, which is and I got to give credit to my wife for this one She bought me this journal. That was a three hundred and sixty five Day journal that kind of gave you prompts or you know, a little push to say like uh, What did you what music do you really enjoy? What song you really enjoying right now? And then the next page would be like what was the greatest thing about New Year's or what'd you do for your birthday? and It lets you write those things down, but what it asks you to do is commit to one thing every day that's gonna make you happy. It doesn't have to be anything gigantic. It could just be, I'm gonna play my favorite song while I'm stuck in traffic and I'm gonna sing my heart out. Right, like, that makes me totally happy. I'm gonna smile at that. I'm, you know, uh, or I'm going to, um, today when I get done with working out, I'm gonna go do one more extra set even after my workout because that makes me feel really good. I'm happy in doing that. I will smile when that happens. So just committing to doing one thing every day that's gonna make you smile, whatever that is for you. And, I like that. And and the last one, which is one I really love. Sometimes it's hard to remember, but the more you do it, the more you condition yourself to do it, and the the better you get at it. Which is Give three compliments a day. Now, you might say to yourself, like, I already compliment people every day. Do you really? Do you go out of your way to compliment someone on something? Now, I know sometimes it's hard for people to go to strangers. So I say, all right, out of those three, do it to one stranger. It doesn't, all three compliments don't have to go to strangers, but at least one of them being strangers. And it could be something as simple as, I really like your boots or your shirt is a beautiful color, right? Or whatever it may be. And what's funny is if you add some of these things together, like your positive affirmations and your gratitude journal, and then you go out and start complimenting people, that's a conversation starter. And you never know who you may be complimenting and sparking a conversation with who can help you along your journey.
0: Totally. Right?
1: Yeah, so, you know, and and how it feels good to tell somebody their boots are nice when you genuinely think their boots are nice. How many times do we see something where it's like, man, that's really cool. Or I like that. Or, oh, he's, he's pretty awesome for doing that. Or I love the way that she's, you know, doing this thing, but we don't go and tell that person. But when you do, (laughs) and, and when you do, and you have that moment, think about how grateful they are and how good it makes you feel. And then all of a sudden you start seeing A lot more opportunities for positive things, for better things, for smiling, for compliments, for gratitude. Uh, It just opens your world up to uh, better things instead of being a negative Nancy all the time.
0: Exactly. There's a quote by, um, well, Gabby Bernstein, I'm not sure if you know who she is, but she, I want to say it was by someone else. But she always says, like, if you're feeling helpless go out and help someone else yep. something of that and I don't even know if that's verbatim but I truly believe in that because I think just even I mean obviously I loved all of the tips and the little tricks that you just shared but I think going out and helping someone else always makes us feel better and I don't think that that's like a selfish or sanctimonious no. type of, of thing to do because it really is obviously like helping something someone else I mean even the simple fact when I went and do- I recently cleaned out my closet and I gave like my entire trunk was full of, of donations and shoes and clothes that I just don't wear anymore like that felt so good to me like energetically it felt like I was doing a really good exchange of energy. And then I came home and everything felt a lot lighter because I didn't, I wasn't holding on to things that I just didn't need anymore. Um, and I mean that like in an energetic sense, it's not so much about tangible things, but yeah, I think I, I love, I love that smile commitment one.
1: Well, yeah. And the other and thing compliments and the other thing too, is like, it doesn't, when you, when you talk about helping other people, you don't have to give money, you don't have to do a grand gesture. The smallest thing in the world could be the biggest thing to somebody else. Imagine imagine you said you deal with anxiety, right? Imagine a moment where you might have been extremely anxious about something you were going to do and you did it and you were feeling anxious about how everybody was feeling and someone just said, "Hi. How you doing?" Like, you kind of rock that. Good job.
0: You know what's funny is that's exactly uh, so weird. I should probably be in some weird case study. I am extremely extroverted. I love people. I love talking to people. I love getting to know people. And whenever I'm super anxious, I want to go talk to someone like it doesn't even have to be about the fact that I'm feeling anxious. It's like if I'm in the store and I'm feeling anxious, I'm like, Oh, like what's in your cart? Like, Oh, is that pizza good? Like I want like that kind of breaks that downward spiral because then I become so focused on the other person and not so much about like my own anxious thoughts.
1: Yeah. No, I, I I just told one of my football players this, I I was, I had, I had made the comment. "Um, You guys have a, a lot more, power than you think in the ability to change someone's day. And the kid responded, well, what do you mean? How? And people kind of laughed. And I was like, that's a really good question. I was like, think about the typical notion of the way people think about football players. They're the jocks. They're the popular ones in school. You know, everybody comes to watch them on Friday night. And you think about this other kid who may have been having suicidal thoughts or something else going on at home or whatever the case is, and they're kind of a loner at school, nothing happens. And the star quarterback says hello because they're just being kind. You could change somebody's world doing that, even though you don't even think of yourself in that way. That hello, how you doing to somebody who was feeling really down in the dumps? that could change their entire outlook, not just for that day, but for the rest of their life. Right. And and you don't have to be the superstar quarterback for that to happen. You can just be regular you walking down the street. You never know what your hello and smile could do for somebody else.
0: Yeah, totally. I think that's such a good example. I think there was actually like a movie about that, um, that actually just came out and it was, it was, it had to do with high school And it was, like, the way this girl kept reliving, like, the same day over and over again, but she was having, like, different interactions until she finally put it together that, like, basically she was – it's kind of sad she was going to die, but it was, like, everything, like, all of her actions had to align with, like, making sure that everyone else – was okay like she had to say something to like the nerdy kid and like the jock and all of those things so I forgot the name of the movie but it was it basically is the same thing as what you just said but like you you don't know the extent of 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 your presence
1: yeah you don't that's a great way of putting it you don't know the extent of your presence
0: so how can people find you and how do you and who do you
1: help so the great thing about being a behavior scientist is behavior is everywhere. We have, we, <laughs> we have a little thing called the dead man's test. If a dead man can do it, it ain't behavior, right? So um, uh, I literally am trained on helping change behavior with effective interventions. But what I enjoy helping the most are people who are trying to answer the question of who am I or people who are trying to grow, um, whether that be personal financial, spiritually, just someone who wants to grow, uh, anyone who's trying to do their best and, and also parents as well. Um, I'm not the perfect parent. I don't have perfect kids. I don't believe in perfection, but I got a lot of things that can really help you have a really strong relationship with your child. Um, so, you know, um, and I, and I, and I gotta be real, Bree. like I'm not the messenger for everybody. I'm super straightforward. And I'm also, you know, if, uh, for someone with a PhD, everyone expects, you know, tie buttoned up pocket pocket protector type thing. Like I'm, (laughs) I'm fully tatted bald head football coach. Like, you know, so I know that I don't, I'm not the messenger for everybody, but if it resonates with you, don't hesitate to reach out. Like my website, rebirthbx.com. Uh, I've got all of my social medias at rebirthbx. I've got my email, aharrison at rebirthbx.com. My phone number is on the website. I mean, there's, I I extend myself as a resource to offer help to anybody who wants it from me. Um, I don't, you know, uh, if I am the messenger for you in terms of someone you can relate to, uh, then great. If you want Dr. Phil, go watch Dr. Phil, I'm not that cat. (laughs)